welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. Happy New Year's Eve, everybody. <laughs> we all got plans for tonight. We were uh, uh, contemplating heading into South Bank until we saw all of the storms that might be headed out that way. I think we might do a nice quiet one on the back of our deck. We have a, a lovely uh, deck. We like to often spend time there, my husband and I. And it was a, a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting out on this deck. It had been a day, and it was a lovely finish to the day. Just mowed the lawn, you know, when it's all nice and crisp and you're really out there enjoying it. So we poured ourselves a drink and we sat down and we started to watch the sunset. It was a beautiful, perfect afternoon. And so John thought he'd take opportunity of this and he got up out of his seat and he leant over to give me this beautiful, romantic kiss on what was a beautiful, romantic afternoon. And it was almost perfect. But you see, we have this puppy. Anyone here got a puppy? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. We have a dog, he's a year old. His name is Max. He's half dashy, half cattle, go figure. It's a wild mix, but he's a beautiful dog and he's very loved. Anyway, he sees John lean on over to me to have this beautiful romantic kiss and our puppy looks up at us and goes, oh yeah, that, that looks good. I need to get in on that. And so as John reaches over gently with his mouth open to go and touch mine, our dog gets right in there at that moment. If you're going to enjoy tongue in a kiss, it is not the tongue that you're hoping for. <laughs> this dog, <laughs> this dog of ours, he's very loved, but he's very naughty. He has been responsible for destroying Nike shoes. He's been responsible for destroying three of his own beds, hats and caps of the household, headphones, controllers, two remote controls for the TV, countless blankets, my handbag and purse, countless of my trees, he likes to pee on them, including my passion fruit vine, which he destroyed. And he loves when the door is open to escape the house. And he doesn't just stay around home. Oh, no, no, that's his opportunity to run, not just down the street, to run down several streets, of which we have to then go and chase him, usually in the heat of the day. And when you finally get to him, you've got to carry him back because he won't just come with you. This is our dog. A couple of weeks ago... Uh, someone in the house accidentally left the door open. I'm like, oh, here we go again. The dog got out. And so I got up ready to go and do the big chase like I always have to do. I'm like, he's such a naughty boy. He really is. And I called his name and I went, Max, come here, boy, come on. Max has never, ever in his life come when we called him. And in this moment, I turned around and the dog came back. There was no end to my excitement. 
I got down when he was, I was down with him. I'm like, oh, you're such a good boy. You're such a good boy. Look at you. Someone go and cut him a slab of meat, he, which we did. He did not have to wait that night for dinner. He got fresh meat. We put an egg over that thing. We're like, you're such a good boy. Oh, look at this. The whole family celebrated this moment because he came back. And as he was on the floor, and I'm rubbing his belly, and I'm telling him what a good, good boy you are, I was acutely aware of God's presence in that moment. I caught something. The title of my message this morning is The Heart of the Father. So I'm going to read to you some scripture this morning. We don't have the screen, so just listen on. In Luke 15, 11 to 32, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, you go bring me that finest robe of the house. Go and get that ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Go and kill that fattened calf. We must celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Filled with love and compassion, it's the heart of the Father. Yeah, I, I love in this passage of Scripture when he talks about when the son was still a long way off. Still a long way off, which meant that he hadn't quite made it just yet. Hadn't actually had the opportunity to start making amends just yet. Hadn't actually had a shower just yet. Showed up smelling like pigs. And the father humiliated himself in that moment. I don't know if you understand this, but in Jewish culture, it was humiliating for a man, a ruler, and he was a ruler, to run for any reason. And this father humiliated himself. He saw him coming and he ran to his child, wrapped his arms around him, embraced him, kissed him, hugged him. This is the heart of the father. So it's full 
of love and compassion. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you full of? Someone starts poking around in here, and I'm sure, and we've just had Christmas, there was probably several pokings going on. It's like deck the halls, not my family, right? (laughs) Poke, poke, poke. What's coming out? What are we full of? Is it love? Compassion? Grace? I'm sure if you poked John right now, trifle would come out. You would not believe how much trifle he ate over Christmas. It's wild. <laughs> I want to read, keep reading this story. In verse 25, we pick up here, and it says, Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Oh, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are all celebrating because of his safe return. Yay! And the older brother was angry and would not go in. The father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but he is now found. When I read this story, I hear the father's pleading heart for two sons. It was for his both of his sons a desire to see them both thriving in life and in life more abundantly. You have to understand the father's about life. He's not about pointing your finger and finding the little things that are wrong. He's about life. He wants to see us thriving in life. And it can be difficult to read the story of the older brother because he was right. Technically, when you look at it, the older brother was right. He had done everything the father had ever asked him to do. Everything. He was obedient. He hadn't left. His brother left. Brother went and, you know, left the family. He was at home doing all of the work while his brother was drinking champagne and, you know, sitting in a spa with his mates. The brother had a very accurate account of all of his brother's, you know, what he had been up to. He was all about the detail. But the older brother was right. He was so right, he was dead right. We can be so right in life that you can actually miss life. You can be so right that you can be dead right and actually kill everything in and around you. See, the younger, sorry, the older brother was angry because the younger brother left. He disrespected the family. He disrespected the family's name. He disrespected his father. He spent all of his money on wild living and prostitutes. His older brother was right. This was actually really hard for him. And I mean, 
the workload probably got harder for him. When a brother takes off, there's a little bit more to do around the house. You know, the field still had to be ploughed and he was left there. This situation, it's not actually fair. It wasn't fair. Older brother was right and this is not a fair situation. But this is the thing about the heart of the father. (laughs) If you are looking for fair, go and buy a bus fare, honestly. It's the only thing that exists. There's no such thing as fair. And you won't find it in the kingdom of God. You'll find justice, but you're not going to sit there and find fair. Because God and the, the, the heart of the Father is so full of love and compassion, it's wildly unfair. And I'm so grateful that it is. Because he is all about grace. God is a God of grace. And it's undeserved. When we look at that Greek word for grace, you can find it in 2 Corinthians 8, 4. But it means, uh, it, well, the word is charis. And the blanket meaning for that grace is undeserved favor. It's a favor given uh, a kindness uh, that is not deserved. That's what grace means. But if you want to just go a little bit deeper for that meaning of grace, you'll find it in Hebrew. Now the word... <laughs> the word is, I'm just going to dispel it, it's C-H-E-N, but it's, it's pronounced hen, but like you've got to get like a, you're trying to spit, you know, the, but I don't want to do it because I'm a girl and it sounds gross, so you can just imagine, thank you, there we go. So <laughs> there's this word, uh, it means grace in Hebrew and it's found, it's first found with Noah. This word for grace, it's not just favour, it is crazy favor it's so intense it's really really intensified i'm going to do my best job to explain this so it it talks about how god chooses to see something the favor is how you choose to see something and so god chooses to see the beauty he chooses to see it like it's this precious gemstone of absolute intense worth and that's how he chooses to see it So John tried to explain it to me. It's this crazy, unfair bias. It's almost like you've got a party and there's 30 kids there with one lollipop and the father goes, that's for my kid. That's wild. That's crazy. It's crazy, unfair and bias. It's almost like, okay, I need some help. Um, I'm not a car person. What's a nice car? Skyliner. Skyliner, anything else? A Camaro. A Tesla, a Tesla, really? That's your choice? If you want the best car ever, it's a Tesla? Rolls Royce, Ferrari, Lamborghini. Okay, that's enough. We get the idea. So it's like this situation, imagine this, that the decree were put out today that everyone here at one o'clock this afternoon, just when it's nice and hot and sticky, we all have to walk to Brisbane. That's the decree that's put out, go and get your sun hats, maybe your umbrellas as well, who knows in the moment, (laughs) grab everything, grab your water bottles, grab two pairs of shoes because by the time you hit 30Ks you're going to want to change your your feet because they're being blistered. So the decree's put out, everybody walks to Brisbane, except Andrew because he's God's son and God goes, no, he rides with me in the Rolls Royce. Crazy favour. You know, except Tanya, 
because she's in the Lamborghini with God. Everyone else is walking, but the favor is this crazy bias. And you might think, well, God, that's unfair, and you're sitting here wrestling this out. How can we serve a God who's so unfair? How can we serve a God who's so unfair? Do we have any concept or understanding of how unfair it was? This, this crazy bias that God has, it's actually the, the bias that he has for you as an individual. This favor, this undeserved grace, this undeserved kindness is actually individually for you. It's his father's heart for you when he is your father. That's actually how he feels about you. And it is unfair because Jesus paid the price when he went to that cross and he was brutally, brutally put there. It was wildly unfair. I gave him ashes and he gave me beauty. How is that fair? I gave him brokenness. He gave me restoration. We bring death, he brings life. We bring the sin, he goes, oh, no, no, that's okay, it's forgiven. I've jumped in that space, I've paid that for you. I made the mess, he went, it's all right, I'm in that space, I've cleaned it up for you. Crazy unfair. I'm so glad, I'm so grateful for God's bias. Human nature, we don't mind receiving grace when it's this way. We don't mind so much when we make a mess and someone else cleans it up. I know I certainly don't mind that. I love it when someone cleans up after me. It's actually my favorite thing, if you didn't know. Just putting that out there for the household. Take notes if you need to. Someone take notes for them, hand it to them later. Human nature, we're happy to receive grace. We're not so great at extending it, especially when the offense comes our way. Thanks you so much, Jesus, for forgiving me, but you actually really need to hold that person to account. I mean, seriously, God, have you seen it? Have you seen the mess that they've made? Did you hear them? In Matthew 18, 24 to 34, it reads... Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had may be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Oh, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity in other words, had grace for, extended mercy, undeserved favour on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. That's nice, hey? But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Did we hear before how much he owed? It was in the thousands. So anyway, he found someone who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I cancelled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had on you? We're happy to receive the forgiveness. We're happy for our debts to be cancelled. Oh, but when someone owes us, it's a little bit harder to get it out. In Proverbs, there's a scripture that says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart and so find favour and high esteem in the sight of God and man. You see, if we understand (laughs) that we don't actually deserve grace, if we understand that it's undeserved, then it's actually the exact opposite. God's grace is the exact opposite of what we deserve. They deserve to be disrespected because they were disrespectful. They deserve to be spoken to rudely because, wow, they're rude. They deserve to be poor because they're stingy with other people and they don't manage their money properly. They deserve it. They deserve to be punished with hard work, a hard workload because they're so lazy. They deserve that extra job. They deserve to be treated harshly because they've been so cruel. They deserve my cold-hearted response from me because they were so hurtful. They deserve it. But almost, almost annoyingly and beautifully so, it's the Father heart of God that knows no end to grace, this crazy unfair bias. They deserve the exact opposite. But Jesus spoke up and went, it's all right. I've covered that. I've got that. It's okay. I'm in this space. I've paid that debt. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. They don't deserve that. I'll step in here. I paid the price. It's okay. You know, hard work and obedience doesn't actually qualify us as sons and daughters. It's often a responsibility of being an heir, but it doesn't qualify us to be a son and a daughter. In a a family home or a situation, you might have a plan where after dinner, everybody has certain jobs in the house to do. You might have one of those children, (laughs) might have happened yesterday (laughs) in your household. I don't know what it was like for your family, but when mine were growing up, this was often a daily occurrence. One child would get in the middle of that mix and throw a big tantrum, huge tantrum, and then leave so abruptly the household or leave the kitchen usually and take off to their bedroom. And brothers and sisters are like, and they're in an uproar and they've left and now we've got all this extra work to do and they've got so many things to say about it. It might have just been that that child had a really bad day at school. We don't always know what other people are going through. 
We don't always know the reasons. We're not called to necessarily understand in that moment. We're not actually called in there at all. In that situation, it's actually the job of the parent to go and tend to the child, not the sibling. I don't know if you ever heard this phrase in your house growing up, but it was like we just should have put it on repeat in our household. You're not the boss. You're not the parent. You're not in charge. You run your own lane, and I'll go sort out your brother. It was just honestly, I could have just hit it on repeat. And then some. It was constantly being brought up. And yet in the family of God... Sometimes we like to get in there. God does a much better job of being a father than we ever will. The older brother, he decided that he had a right to be angry. But his judgment was just completely out of sync with the father heart of God. Musos, can you please come up and join me? What I love... What I love about the story of the older brother is the father's heart towards him also. Now it says in that scripture that the father came to him, begged him, took time out, sat with him, pleaded with him to try and get him to understand because grace was for the older brother also. It was for both of them. Because life was the father's priority. Not this, nee, 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 nee. It was life. Are your conversations with people, do they bring about life? Do your relationships with people, will you find life centered in them? Can we come back and realign ourselves in the father's heart? Now, as I was preparing this message a few weeks ago, I saw a picture in my mind's eye and it was of someone coming up and grabbing a cloak. And this cloak was a cloak that was being put on other people. And it was a cloak that other people were also putting on them. And it was a cloak that sometimes they were grabbing and putting on themselves. And the cloak was a cloak of shame. As I looked at these cloaks, I took a step back and I realised there were two wardrobes here. And this cloak of shame did not belong in God's kingdom. So what? Over here, and we're grabbing these and we're, we're wrapping each other in them, in this cloak of um, shame, sometimes in the name of Jesus. But Jesus' kingdom's over here. So you have to realise when we are talking about spiritual things, there are only two kingdoms. There's no middle kingdom here. There's only two kingdoms. So if we're going to be grabbing cloaks and cloaking each other with our words and cloaking with each other with how we treat one another, cloaking each other with how we think about each other, cloaking each other with how we speak and how we pray for one another, then we need to make sure that we're grabbing a cloak from the kingdom of God. 
there's two kingdoms. One of light, where our heavenly father reigns, where your heavenly father reigns. Do you know he's a good father? I hope you hear his heart for you this morning. I hope you know that he's for you and not against you. I hope you know that that cloak of shame was never meant for you. It never had your name on it.